Okay, I'm just gonna take a shot with my bow. Let me handle this. Jeez, this is one feisty kobold. I know, how did he even get in here? He said he was delivering hoagies. <laughs> and you believed him? Hey, look out! Gah! Oh, right in the kidney. I think probably it's the general area. Man. Yeah, but dude, I believed him because he had the sandwiches. Really? Where? Don't bother. Mimic hoagies. I'm gonna throw a dagger. Oh man, again? What are we gonna do? We gotta start the show soon. Do you think that Kobolds acknowledge the concept of timeout? It's worth a shot. Hey, make a charisma check and I'll use the help action. Thanks. Hey, little dude. We have a minimally successful podcast that we need to record. Do you think we could call a quick timeout on this fight? I think that's a yes? He's no longer attacking us. Great! Thanks! Hey bud, could you Fonzie that jukebox for us? Garen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it! Dungeons and Dragons. Dan here, I started out in 5e. And me, I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year, we're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Building new characters, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How to range? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here. Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kinda drab. This ain't one, it's the Character Lab. And welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around the one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week, we are bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content and scoring against a predefined table of criteria. It's then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey, I'm Garen. And my friends call me Miriam Sasparilla, but you guys can call me Dan. This week, we're indirectly hanging out with one of our favorite third-party publishers with an episode all about Cobalt Press. The quality content coming out of this studio is so consistent that it's often referred to as official D&D. Yeah, and guys, I have to admit, I think I've mentioned this in a previous episode, but I went ahead and bought Southland Heroes, Midgard Heroes, and Unlikely Heroes. Those are the first three third-party soft cover supplements that I bought as a player of 5th edition, and that really opened my eyes to all of the options and all of the exciting things that you could do for character builds, and that just kind of sparked my love for sending these character concepts over to Garen, and and he did so in turn. Those products were really things that opened our eyes to what the community was capable of creating, and I think it's almost reasonable to say that Cobalt Press is the reason the show exists. So before we get into this week's highlight of some of their great content, we actually have a message from the folks over at Cobalt Press themselves with something they would like you to hear about. 
Because Cobalt Press is proud to welcome the newest addition to its library with Tales of Old Margrave campaign book and player's guide. This wilderness setting was funded seven times over on Kickstarter and is filled with adventures for levels 1 through 12 that lure players in with tales of ancient stones, vicious blood cult plots, and terrors of the deep wood. There's a memorable stay at a quirky coaching inn and a run-in with the legendary Baba Yaga. Now all of these may be played separately or woven together into an epic campaign. The Player's Guide primes you for all these stories as it contains new races and subclasses that you can bring to your table. Try out some bear folk, piney plant folk, or even a deer-inspired centaur known as the Allside. Then pair up your wild race with a circle of oak druid, complete with new spells for the druid and some for the ranger too. Pre-orders are shipping now, so head over to the link in our show notes or just search Kobold Press to get your copy of Tales of Old Margrave. Thank you guys, we are looking forward to that product, but today we have other products to talk about and other characters to talk about. So Dan, I'm just going to keep right on going and give you my backstory. Would you hit the theme music, please? The Flash Knights of King Hanum were a renowned squad called upon to handle exceptional threats, especially when dealing with spellcasters, as it is said they can see into the future and know the minds of their enemies. This blend of physical prowess and counter magic make them legends of the battlefield. Young Steve Dolphicar was raised in a bustling city of merchants and crafters. His parents were both respected creators of fine clocks and music boxes. As a boy, Steve would play war with the bits of metal left around his parents' shop, pretending he was fighting for noble causes. His parents laughed at his mock fights, but encouraged his aspirations as he got older and continued to prove himself both strong and smart. He often saw the Flash Knights as they passed through on some honorable mission or another. They spoke little to the people, but were always polite. He saw them as icons of what a sword bearer should be and aspired to tame their level of discipline. As a teen, Steve began serving as the local guard, a relatively quiet job until one day they noticed a fight just outside of town. Men were brawling in the dirt surrounding one man in particular, and some of them drew blades. Steve stepped in and managed to end the conflict without any deaths, only to find the man who was being attacked bore the markings of a flash knight. He introduced himself as Sir Weck and complimented Steve on the quick way he handled that. Sir Weck grabbed a scrap of paper from his coat and wrote a message of recommendation that he told Steve to give to the recruiter in King Hanum's court should he ever be interested in conscripting. Well, Steve was interested, so he did. He was accepted, of course, and he crushed the application process. Now, he's a famous Flash Knight on his first mission, and he was teamed up with none other than Sir Weck. They were to take down a mad mage that had holed himself up in a tower and was wreaking havoc on the nearby cities with his bands of demons and fireballs he threw from high atop. The Flash Knights made quick work of the trite wizard's tower, but Steve was shocked to see that the body of the target also bore the same insignia he now wore on his armor. The king pushes us to our breaking point. Some of us break, Sir Weck said and then shrugged. Steve stood there for a long time. He respected the knights and wore his insignia with honor, but he had no idea that his new strength could come at such a cost. He returned with the squad to King Hanum's castle and continued his duties, but always found himself holding back from that day on. This was noticed by his superiors, and he was repeatedly admonished for not giving himself over fully to the troop. He was now a longtime veteran of the Flash Knights, and more was expected of him, but he couldn't help finding himself looking beyond the walls more each and every day. So I bring to you Steve Dulfakar. Say uh, what? Steve Dulfakar, which is, of course, a Southlands dwarf name, and I wasn't aware of that until Matthew Corley the author of Lamp's Light Sanitarium that we featured on the show, and a sometimes writer of Coldwell Press, he told me on Twitter that that would be an appropriate Southlands Druid name. So, 
That's what he is. And he's a Southlands, I said Druid, he's a Southlands Dwarf. He is a level 13 Prescient Knight, which is a subclass that I took from Combat Divination Deep Magic series. And he has the Tinkerer background, both the race and the background, I took from Midgar's Heroes Handbook. So this level 13 fighter is way more capable than you can possibly anticipate. So I hope you're ready for this episode. Ooh, got me shaking in my boots already, but I think he's up against a pretty formidable foe with a pretty formidable backstory. In the Black Hills, just north of the Margrave Forest, resides a heavy population of humanoid bears known as bear folk. In their primitive years of their existence, the bear folk still hibernated heavily in the colder months. Because of this, they were largely hunted by bugbears and gnolls, and were almost wiped out completely. The temperature variations in the Black Hills between winter and summer months can be extreme, and the bear folk attributed this to the ongoing battle between the goddesses Suni and Aurel. Suni was known as Lady Firehair. She was the deity of beauty and the priestess of the Heat Warder, who was believed to bring the happy days of summer and the bear folk's most productive days of the year. Aurel, however, she was known as the Frost Maiden and was a sworn enemy of the early bear folk. Because of this, many temples began to rise in the Black Hills and Margrave Forest for Sunni and the Heat Warder. It was believed at this time amongst the Bear Folk that a strong devotion to uphold the values of beauty and warmth towards one another in everyday life would protect them from danger in the bitter winter months. That was the case until an especially harsh winter about 15 years ago, when a Bear Folk variant with thick white fur came from the Isle of Loki and managed to make their way down to the Black Hills and decimated the population of the Bear Folk who resided there. Those who were spared were forced to proclaim devotion to the Frost Maiden herself, Auro. Though the Black Hill Bear Folk survivors that remained prayed and prayed that their furry white-haired brethren would leave at the end of the winter, that day never came. It got hotter and hotter, and the variant bear folk remained in the Black Hills, building temples to honor Aurel in the region and spread the word of her tenants outlined in the Codicil of White, a Bible of sorts for Aurel's followers. Enter Borst Stonebones. His family was one of the few that survived the initial onslaught brought by the variant bear folk by pledging allegiance to Aurel. Behind closed doors, however, Borst and his family still prayed to Sunni nightly begging for her to return the warmth of humanity in the area of crisis known as the Black Hills. Outside of the woodland home, however, Borst was greatly involved in the Church of Aurel, acting as an altar boy at nightly devotionals to the Frost Maiden. Included in these services were bi-weekly sacrifices of non-believers. And one day, a fluffy white knock awoke Borst and his family dead out of their sleep. A variant bear folk stood stoically at their doorstep holding religious texts and a prayer scroll that Borst knew belonged to his parents. The polar bear folk scooped Borst and his two parents up by their backsides and brought them immediately to the nearest chapel for immediate sacrifice. The three of them were roped up and made an example of in front of the congregation of angry followers of Aurel. And just as the guillotine was about to drop on the three of them, a mighty bolt of lightning struck down the clergyman, rendering him incapacitated while simultaneously singeing the rope on Borst's hands, thus freeing him. He immediately freed his parents, and the three of them fled back to their home, boarding the windows and doors immediately, fearing that the angry congregation was not far behind. However, days and days passed, and no one ever approached their door. Finally, two weeks later, Borst and his parents emerged from their cabin to find gifts and tokens of offering for Borst, their newfound prophet. Borst eventually came to realize that the contradicting tenets from the opposing deities caused an overwhelming surge of energy which he could control. 
Over time, he learned to defend himself by harnessing this power whilst also negotiating his way through life with the two deities he now professed his faith to. The result was an impressive ability to duel both physically and mentally with opposing forces. I introduce to you this week, Borst Stone Bones, which is a level 7 Bearfolk Oath of the Thunder Paladin and level 6 Duelist Rogue with the Prophet background. All of this race, two archetypes, and background all come from Midgard Heroes Handbook, which, as I mentioned, as Garen has mentioned in the past, this is a must-have for all listeners of this podcast. It's a $40 hardcover that has an absolute mountain of archetypes, backgrounds, races, feats, all sorts of stuff. It's a must-have. We just love this book. And, Garen, I hope you're ready for the first Paladin Rogue multiclass that we've ever brought into the lab. You seem very confident in yourself, especially for a bear named Borscht. I'm Borscht out of my mind listening to him. All right. We only got one more thing to take care of before we get down to this battle, folks, and that is to talk about our friends over at Tabletop Loot, because they are full of great products and even more heart. Their store has shirts, mugs, tote bags, and hordes and hordes of dice. Their dice selection can't be beat. So many dice, and we don't have time to list them all. So I'm going to highlight one that I would use when playing Steve Dulfakar. It's called the Double Helix Nebula. Now, it appears dark until you hold it up to the light, and then it shows off. It has an orange, sparkly core. Very pretty dice. And just like Steve... I think it proves there's more than meets the eye. So when you click the link in our show notes to get a set for your next character, use the code LABRAT, L-A-B-R-A-T, to get 15% off your total purchase. This works on everything except Norse Metal Foundry dice. So grab some fresh loot and give Borscht the boot. Thank you, Garen, and Tabletop Loot for that message. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time ever, welcome to the show. This is the portion where I explain the show's format. If you are not a new person and you're a seasoned veteran, go ahead and skip ahead about 20 seconds as this will be old news. Now, we have nine categories that we've prepared arguments for, and in each, we'll state why our character deserves a score between a negative two and a positive two. Now, think of a positive two as cutting your enemy straight in half. And a negative two is more like, uh, someone falling prone and then losing the rest of their attacks all at once on a natural one. Now, finally, once per show, each of us will be able to force the other to roll for the score in which they're arguing for as a charisma save using the charisma score of the character in which we're using this week. And then in the end, whoever has the most points wins. Simple enough? Great. The first category is melee. And you know what? I'm going to start us off. I'm arguing a plus two in this category. That's right, I'm going all in. I have an ability called Dancing Blade as a duelist rogue, which at third level allows me to wield a rapier as a light weapon, provided I have nothing heavier than a light weapon in my other hand. So... I have a rapier with a plus 8 to hit, deals out 1d8 plus 3 damage, and then in my offhand, I have a dagger with a plus 3 to hit, deals out 1d4 plus 3. I have two attacks, so four total chances, plus I have something called bear hug, which allows you, when you take the attack action, you can make an unarmed strike as a bonus action, and if you hit, you can grapple the target in addition to dealing damage. You can use this ability a number of times equal to your constitution modifier, which for me is 1, and you regain it after a long rest. Now... Garen, I had to dig through the rules in order to clarify this thing because I did actually not know what the rules were on light weapons and what the attack in the offhand mm. was treated as because I thought it was a bonus action. Or I might, I thought I, you know, it might be, and it's not. It's actually treated as part of the action. Wrong. So when you attack with the offhand with a light weapon, you do not expend a bonus action. So I would get those four attacks. 
that I mentioned previously, two with the rapier, two with the dagger. And then as my unarmed strike, I have a plus eight to hit 1d6 plus three piercing damage as I have a bite attack, which I get wow. as a bear folk. So total potential damage of 45, and that's if I don't use any techniques, which I get three as a duelist rogue, and they operate off of something called prowess points, which you have a total of two times your proficiency bonus per short or long rest, which in my case means I have 10. And one of these techniques that I have that I would be constantly calling upon is called deep slice. When you inflict damage with a finesse weapon, which all of my weapons are, you can spend one prowess point to deal a deep bleeding wound, and at the start of that character's next turn, the bleeding creature must take a successful constitution saving throw or take three, or 1d6, piercing damage. On a successful save, the effect ends. Now, the creature or adjacent ally can end it with a, a healer's kit or a successful medicine check against the technique save DC, which uh, for me is 16. It's 8 plus proficiency plus dex. A deep slice has no effect against constructs or undead. So, that would stack on top of the 45 damage. I think this is pretty undeniably a plus 2. Yeah, if you guys, like, went out and got milk during that, he's still on melee. You talking mad smack for somebody that talked for like the first eight minutes of this episode? I had business to take care of. You're just you're just trying to talk me into submission. And you know what? Back it up with a dice. All right. Let's see what you got. Roll for this. All right. So as part paladin, I have a 16 charisma. So the DC for a plus two is a 17. So I got to roll a 14 or better here. I rolled an 18. I'm taking that plus two. Fine. I'm arguing a plus one. I've got three attacks, plus 10 to hit with my longsword, 1d8, plus five damage. And the great thing about the combat definition spells is they fit into so many different categories. So I actually have a spell that I can put into my melee category, and that is called Targeting Foreknowledge. It's a third level divination spell. You cast it as a bonus action. And what it basically means is you are able to deal some extra damage because you, you targeted that attack so sweetly. So you get to do 2d6 bonus damage of the weapons type. And if the attack was a 19, it also becomes a crit. And you add that 2d6 on top of the crit damage. So it's kind of like Divine Smitey, right? Except it's basic weapon damage and your fighter can use it. With a potential 39 total damage and the ability to crit on a 19 or 20, I think you are worthy of a plus one. So why don't you go ahead and take us into the ranged category? All right, well, ranged is going to show off a little extra feature that I haven't talked about yet, and that is I took a item out of the Warlock booklet, which Cobalt Press puts out as part of their Patreon. Now, you can also buy it online, but if you're a $5 a month donor like I am, every other month you receive a booklet full of lore, monsters, items, character options, all sorts of stuff, mostly to expand upon their Midgard setting. And their 11th booklet is a all treasure booklet. And I have a beautiful item out of there called the Blood Bow. So this is a long bow and it's a plus eight to hit, one D8 plus one damage. Sure, that's great. But the Blood Bow is dipped in the blood of your enemies. And the last enemy, for instance, a human, if I dip it in human blood, the next human I attack, I get a plus one, plus one to hit and to damage. And... Oh, I love it! There's more, because that human has to succeed on a DC 13 wisdom save or become enraged. And while they're enraged, they actually su suffer a short-term madness effect, which could affect their performance in battle, especially if they're a spellcaster. So that is really cool. And of course I have three attacks. So I'm pushing for a plus one in this category also. Yeah, definitely a plus one. That is truly a treasure. And I also like the madness effect, kind of like, uh, you know, the creature is just absolutely outraged that you have the blood of one of their brethren or maybe their own blood on 
your bow and they just completely lose rational thought. I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. So much flavor. Yeah, I love that they added this enraged idea and then they tacked it onto something that's very easy to wrap your head around. They didn't kind of create a new mechanic. They just said, it's madness, which is perfect. I love it. So for ranged, I'm arguing a plus one. I have a short bow with a plus eight to hit. 1d6 plus three piercing. Got those two attacks. I also have sneak attack, which at six level for a rogue is 3d6, which brings the total potential damage at 36 HP per round. I'm loving that plus one. Yeah, I mean, I got more attacks than you, but you're really kind of coming through with that extra stuff. So yes, this is a very formidable uh, foe you brought here. So how about burninating damage? What do you got? You already spent the roll too. Just wait. Burninating's a plus one. I've got Thunderous Smite, Thunder Wave, Call Lightning, Elemental Weapon, Divine Smite. I've also got something called Storm Strike, which as an action, I can use my channel divinity to infuse a ranged or thrown weapon that I'm holding with the Wrath of a Storm God. Now, you make a ranged weapon attack as normal, but in addition to that attack, you create a line of lightning five feet wide and 60 feet long, beginning at the end of your ranged weapon and extending straight toward the target. Now, if the target is less than 60 feet from you, the line of lightning extends beyond it, and each creature in that line takes 2d10 plus your paladin level, which for me is seven in lightning damage or half as much on a successful deck save. Now, get this. If the ranged weapon attack is successful, the target has disadvantage on that saving throw. Oh, come on, man. Oh, man, that's guaranteed damage, and I love it. This is easily worthy of a plus one, and I love the storm flavor that we're getting here out of the Oath of Thunder. Yeah, you got one good thing. The rest of that did not excite me because we've heard those before, but I love your feature. So with your potential power there, I can't argue with that. So, man, I'm not going to let you off easy on this one, but this is a really good build. My Burning Aiden category, I have to appeal to any sense of humanity you may have because I have one spell and I would love a zero because my spell is called Insightful Maneuver. This is a divination first level bonus action. And with a flash of insight, I know how to take advantage of your foe's vulnerabilities. Until the end of my turn, the target has vulnerability to one damage type of my choice. Additionally, if the target has any other vulnerabilities, I also learn those at that time. So you're saying that somebody else would have to do the burninating? Uh, I'm saying that doubling my damage for the whole round using magic is making it magical damage. Kind of in the same way that... A monk does magic damage. So I think this is a unique way for the fighter to dish out some heavy damage for one round. Take my longsword damage, which is a potential 39, and imagine 39 extra damage on top of that because I cast a spell. I think that warrants this being burninating damage. It's a stretch, but I enjoy your passion and creativity. I also think that it'd be a potential game changer if you used it. So I'll go ahead and grant you the zero, but you're rolling for the zero, friend. I want to make it hurt. Okay. This is going to be a difficult zero to achieve. I only need to roll a 12, but I have a minus one to my charisma because Steve was just focused on his brains and his muscles. 13 or better. Whew. Okay. I rolled a three. Yeah, negative one. That's a shame. You looked good there for a second. But you know what? I can't be mad because you did give me the zero, so I at least feel good about my argument. Moving into the control category, things are going to start ramping up for me. First of all, I have a feature of being a prescient knight, and it is called Reactive, Reactive Echo, Echo, which somehow resonated as one of the coolest feature names I've ever heard. I just, I wrote down cool name. So what happens is when I take an action surge, I get a second reaction. That's great. That's very useful. And that's very important because a lot of these spells are bonus actions and reactions. So that gives me a potential to cast some more spells. I also took a feat called Arcane Prescience, which grants you proficiency with Arcana, 
And as part of my reaction, I can make an intelligence arcana check to discern the identity of a spell I see that's being cast. The DC for the check is 10 plus spell level. If the check succeeds, me or an ally of my choice have advantage on the saving throw against the casting of the spell. And after identifying the spell, I can move up to 10 feet or half my speed, whichever is less. I can use this number of time equal to my intelligence modifier and get back after a short or long rest. So that is some nice battlefield control, providing knowledge, granting assistance to my ally, kind of an ally assist in there too. Now let me get into a couple more spells. Slippery Fingers, level one bonus action. I create a small series of events that cause a targeted creature to drop a non-magical item. They gotta succeed on a charisma save or they could drop their sword or shield. Can't use it on magic items. I got Distracting Divination. Here's a reaction. When an enemy tries to cast a spell, I am going to try and stop that. I have to be adjacent to the enemy casting the spell, but I make a melee spell attack against them. If it hits, the enemy's spell fails and has no effect, and the spell slot is expended. So this is a level 2 spell where, of course, you have to be next to the creature, but it's effectively a counter spell. I have a plus 8 to hit, so that's pretty solid. So those four features, I think, are worthy of a plus 2. Getting an extra reaction is one of those four, so no... So, plus two here, I got a gust of wind, you know. Why did you even spend time on that? Don't even mention that. Don't bring that to the table. You don't even know what it does. Cunning action. It pushes a creature ten feet. Cunning action. Another technique that I have is called disarming parry, which, much like your ability, when you are missed by a melee attack, you can expend one prowess point as a reaction to force the attacker to make a strength save, and on a fail, it drops the weapon it attacked with, and if you have a free hand, you can catch the weapon with a successful DC 10 dex check. Otherwise, it lands 10 feet away from the attacker in a random direction. But I've also got another one called Pommel Punch. This is so cool, okay? So when you make an attack, you can spend two prowess points to strike the target with the pommel of your weapon instead of the blade. I would be doing this with my dagger, every single time it does 1d6 bludgeoning damage instead of the weapon's normal damage dice and the target must make a successful con save or be incapacitated till the end of its next turn again that dc is a 16 the target can be no more than one size category larger than you so again i'd be putting this on my daggers and it would be dealing out 1d6 plus 3 as opposed to 1d4 Additionally, this is basically stunning strike, except Mm. a little bit more powerful because you're incapacitated. I'm loving that control. I've got more than you. No, you have four things. I have four things. So we'll go go even at plus one. Yes, even at plus one. Taking it into tankiness. Got an AC of 16 and 131 hit points. I'm resistant to cold damage as the grizzle hide subrace of a bear folk. I'm also immune to diseases as a paladin. Oh, and by the way, I've got uncanny dodge. Mm, yes okay no, no problem with the plus one i think you will agree you're not going to grant it to me because i'm not going to push for it but i think you will agree that this is plus three worthy when it comes to tankiness 143 hit points ac of 20 Woo! i get evasion as being oppression knight i've got the second wind and indomitable i have also got sidestep arrow third level spell an enemy targets me with the range attack another creature is within 10 feet of me when i cast it as part of casting the spell i move up to 15 feet to place that enemy between me and the arrow being shot at me now i must be able to move i can't be restrained or grappled or anything and it does not provoke opportunity attacks and after i've moved the ranged attack is resolved with the intervening foe as the target instead of me hey that is a fun spell i have also got anticipate attack this is a reaction when i cast the spell i can move up to half my speed without triggering opportunity attacks now the attack will happen but it misses automatically if I'm no longer within range, or if I'm impossible to hit. Come on, that is a guaranteed fail on their part, and I'm out of range now. 
Yeah, I'm loving that. And I'm also liking so far what I'm hearing about this class. It's sort of using that Darren Kenny style of the duelist where taking more advantage of the reaction. You're a little bit more of a, a savvy fighter. Yeah, it's not just throwing up shield all the time. I got one more thing. It's a level one abjuration that I took out of Midgar's Heroes Handbook called Shadow Armor. And it's a reaction when I'm targeted, but before the roll is made, I siphon energy from the Shadow Realm to protect myself against the immediate threat. As a reaction, I pull shadows around myself to distort reality. The attack made is the attack is made with disadvantage, and I have resistance to radiant damage until the start of my next turn. So that is the finally the end of my tankiness category. It's at least a plus two. It is. It's a plus two. I'm not going to argue with it. You have a lot, especially with that AC of 20. And it's mithril armor because I'm a dwarf. You'd be tough to hit. There's no question about it. Well, Dan, next up is the ally assist category. And of course, we always talk directly to the listeners about something we deem important in the ally assist world. And this week, we have a long overdue check-in with our friends over at Crit Nation. The fantastic guys at Crit Academy have put together a fellowship of content creators that work together through promotion and support. We owe so much to this team that it not only includes the aforementioned Crit Academy guys, but also Interparty Conflict, the actual play podcast Brute Force and Ignorance, and several written creators like Lore Smith and Jeff Stevens. So please, this week, check the link in our show notes. It's going to be there every week in our show notes after this. And head over to Crit Academy's site to see all members of Crit Nation. It's another reason that this show exists, guys. We would not be here where we are today without them. They're, they are so awesome. So thank you, Crit Academy, for welcoming us into the Crit Nation, which we have been proud to be members of. And I am proud of my ally assist category. You know why, Dan? Because at level 7, I get constant vigilance. When I'm surprised, I can use my action surge during the round to negate the surprise against me, and I can still get those two actions. Additionally, allies can use their reactions after I use my action surge. So that's a little bit of control, a little bit of ally assist. I've also got a reaction first level spell called Alter Arrows Fortune. I clap my hand, setting off a tiny chain of events that culminate in throwing off an enemy's aim. When an enemy makes a ranged attack, weapon, or spell against one of my allies, This causes the enemy to repeat the attack roll unless the enemy makes a successful charisma save. The attack is resolved with the lower, so it's giving them disadvantage if they fail their save. Also, Distraction Cascade. Another great name. This is another reaction. I'm throwing a full off balance. I target a creature that I can see that my ally has just declared as the target of their attack. That creature must succeed on their charisma save or the ally gets advantage. That is only three things. But I think this is a pretty solid plus one for me because I have a lot of things that grant advantage and disadvantage. And as we all know, that is a make and break. You're giving them an extra reaction as one of them. And again, reactions are not as useful for everybody else as they are for you. So uh, this is more of a zero. No, it's not an extra reaction. Just to clarify, when you're surprised, you can't take reactions, you know, during the surprise round. So what I'm doing is I'm negating that in the regard that I'm giving them the chance to use their reactions during the surprise round. So that is helpful. I just wanted to make sure And you... do what? And cast a shield spell. Make an opportunity attack. Maybe they also have reaction spells. There's more of them out there. Yeah. Name a few. Happy to do it. Good berry. It is not, is it really? No. No, it's not. It should be. You should be able to make good berries as a reaction. You're dealing with something that's extremely situational. I'm going to give you like two and a half things. But I still think it's a zero. You're not at a one. This is a one. And I'm going to tell you why. No. I got lay on hands. 
35 HP I don't care pool. about your lay on hands. No, neither do the listeners. I've also got the protection fighting style, which, uh, with you're within five feet of me, disadvantage on melee attacks against you if I see it happen. With your one reaction. I got two reactions. Yeah, good. And so, so do your compadres that have so much to do with it. I have also the heroism spell. I've also got Aura of Alacrity, which is an Oath of Thunder trait, which, starting at 7th level, you and your allies within 10 feet add your proficiency bonus to their initiative rolls. So all of your boys are going to be pumped up, ready to go, and they don't need no surprise round. It's the enemy's surprise round. Were you not listening to my feature there? I was saying surprise round in general. You don't need it. Okay, because you've won already. I get it. That's not enough. That's not enough for a plus two. Oh, so I'm going to be a plus one with you. There is no way that you see that as even with you. That's a joke. I am obviously a plus one on you, so if you want a zero, I'll take a plus one. Just because I don't care, you have that's, that's easily, the lay on hands? That's easily better than you. Yeah, what do you have to heal? Oh, wait, oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. In a surprise round, your boys can take a reaction. Even Steven. I've got to say I've missed the edgy, stubborn Dan. I think he made a comeback this week. Yeah, there's no way that you see this as even. You're mad because I'm walloping you. This is Shia LaBeouf, even Steven. I am walloping you in this episode, and you can't handle it. You're you're making arguments that don't even make sense. I am, most of the time, very reasonable when it comes to this stuff, but some of these things that you're pu- pulling out, it's it's ridiculous. No way. This is good. It's getting very personal for you. Okay. You can have your plus one to my zero. I'm not giving you a plus two just because of your tone. <laughs> okay, taking it into balance, I'm arguing a plus one. He's not a perfectly balanced character as he has a strength of 16, dex of 16, con of 12, intelligence of 9, wisdom of 8, charisma of 16, but he does have immunity to disease, resistance to cold damage, as I mentioned, passive perception of 9, so... Doesn't know what's going on. No, he's walking around with his head in the clouds a bit. Spell save DC of 16, being a paladin, but then also that prowess save DC is a 16, and a plus 8 to hit on those spell attacks. All that considered, plus 1, not perfect. That low intelligence, low wisdom, again, coming into perception... And all the wisdom skills, I think that would hit you a lot harder than the intelligence being low. Yes, I agree. I'm also going to be taking a plus one here. I have got strength of 20, dex of 13, constitution of 12, intelligence of 17, wisdom of 10, charisma of 9. Now, my passive perception is a 10, so I'm walloping you in that category. But that 143 HP with that plus one to my con and the 20 armor class, I think makes this a, you know, we don't have to say more. This is a plus one. Easy uh, determination, one for one. But let's head into our charisma scenario this week, which was submitted by Benjamin Thomas, and it reads... You've completed a mission for some village elders. You arrive back in the village during a village hall meeting, and you announce your victory and reward them with their spoils. But now you must convince the village elders to raise a baby goblin you found while toiling in their dungeon. So, what do you do? So this is the first charisma scenario submitted by Benjamin Thomas. We know him as Beefy on the Discord. So thank you, Benjamin, for participating in the lab here. This is a good one. And it is my turn to get started with the smooth operator. Now these, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. My character was not cut out for these categories. So I'm just going to do the best I can. I mean, all of my spells, I've told, I've shown you all my spells. They're all very much combat related. And this is not about combat. On top of that, I'm a fighter with bad charisma. So I'm really set up to fail, but I got super high intelligence. So I come up with a plan, at least. And here's my plan. With my background feature as a tinkerer, I have knowledge to cobble together a recording device, and I record the sound of the baby goblin laughing. I then duplicate that device and create a series of these speakers 
and I create a number of these speakers equal to how many village elders there are, of course, and I leave them outside the windows so they can hear the sweet sound of goblin baby laughter while they sleep. So the next day, I bring the baby to them, and then the baby laughs, and it triggers all of those sleep, paternal and maternal feelings deep inside those village elders. I think this is a zero. It's a pretty good plan, right? When you got nothing, you got nothing, and I've been there before. So I have a background feature of the prophecy background called Words From High, and basically, it just means that people hear and accept your words and they're moved to actions. And so such individuals will lend aid for your services, da 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 They think you're the prophet. So it's, you know, we all have our various religions or not, but we are all familiar with what a prophet is. And if a prophet says something, the power that that has. So I would state to the villagers that I negotiated a great summit while I was away on my mission. And I actually negotiated with Sune and Aurel. And as a token of appreciation for this summit, this peace summit, the two of them created a baby for us to nurture. And he is to be my successor when I perish and will become the new face of hope for our people. He's also to be treated like a god never to be left hungry, and need for nothing. I think that should do the trick, as this background feature was pretty much made for this scenario, given that the elders of the village, I am a prophet of the village, so this is this is pretty much made for it. I, I'm arguing a plus two. Ooh, for a plus two, I think I'm going to need a deception check. I was going to do the deception check for fun, because you do make a really good point with this, but I would have gone for a one on that, so... I'm going to counter that it's a religion check because I was talking to gods. No, but you are convincing the people about the whole it being your successor and that you made it and all that. All right. Well, I rolled a 16 plus three is 19. Dang it. All right. I'll move into how it's handled aggressively, but I must warn you, it's also pretty smooth. It's not very aggressive. So I would slyly place the baby behind a prominent building in town and call lightning to a place nearby that structure once I'd finished my speech about the successes of my mission. I would then state that I heard a baby crying near the site of the lightning strike, and sure enough, we'd rush to discover that there was a baby there. I would turn to one of the most prominent elders and state that he was negligent of the people in the town, putting them all in grave danger and clearly upsetting Sunni and Arl with my plus 13 intimidation check. I would state that it is incumbent upon him to make this right by protecting this child for the rest of its life, making sure that I was standing within 10 feet of the elder. (laughs) Here comes the best part. Uh Within 10 feet of the elder to give him a plus five to initiative to take care of that baby. Oh, geez. (laughs) Initiative to take care of the baby? He's got a great deal of initiative to be a dad. Plus one. All right. Yes, a plus one. You know what? I'm just... I'm. I'm going to Babe Ruth it. I'm just going to point to the bleachers, and I'm going to call this as a definite plus two home run. I would cast the insightful maneuver spell that I used in the burning category, and I would give the lead elder vulnerability to cuteness, and then I would just hold out the goblin baby and go, eh? That's it? That's all I need. Game over. Come on, that's not a plus two. But I Babe Ruthed it, though. You can't take away my my Ruthiness. You want a zero? (laughs) What do you want? So, I mean, you re- you're, you really want a plus two here. I, I think I deserve it. When you're down, you're so unreasonable. No, I, I'm i just getting creative. I don't understand what's so hard to believe about this. It's not a plus two. So it's a plus one? <laughs> I guess. Sure. Fine. Thank you. This is the dumbest. Man, you're such a sucker. Yeah, I know. And that's the problem. It's because it's like you just sit there and let it pregnant pause. What do you want me to do? I want to move on. It's not going to be nearly as much of a pregnant pause when you edit that down to one second. Ladies and gentlemen listening at home, he sat in silence for a solid five seconds. 
I, I thought there was going to be more. No. I think the listeners did too. How did you not hear that and just go, oh, that's, yeah, that's a complete plan. Why does it need to be so verbose? All right, so before I tell you how I eked you out by one point on this episode, why don't you tell me about the X Factor for your character? I used to think, and I, I think a lot of people kind of think this way, that a paladin rogue multiclass is kind of, like, impossible. I, I've never heard this argument, but why would you think so? Well, because paladins tend to be lawful good. They tend to have tenants. They tend to uh, be bound to, like, an oath. But then you have rogues who are a little bit sneakier. You know, they tend to be, you know, either a thief or an assassin or this or that. And, and they tend to be a little bit on the darker side of good. So maybe sometimes chaotic, but most of the time just neutral. And it's tough to have somebody who is bound to these tenants, but also can pick a lock and pickpocket a guy. It's just a little tough to skirt that line because I feel that paladins are some of the hardest ones to multiclass in general just because of how heavy you have to go in on the role play. Sure. Okay. This thing is a wrecking ball powerhouse, and I can understand why paladins and rogue multiclasses don't happen very often because good God, these things are powerful. Yes. You have been multicasting a lot lately, and man, I see it. It is intense. So many options. This duelist rogue is really cool, though, because it's like a battlemaster fighter, but a little bit more potent because you have those prowess points that are similar to superiority die, but actually you have more prowess points than you would superiority die at this level. So um, a lot of utility. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I like the prowess points thing. That that For me at first, that felt kind of overpowered, but I, I like the features that involved with that, so I can get behind that. So what about you? Uh, the Prussian Knight, man, I am really digging it. I recently claimed that I had found my favorite ranger, and now I think I found my favorite knight because this reaction-based interposing yourself and tricking the enemies kind of fighter class uh that's really cool that's giving me like an anime sword fighter vibe you know where you're just kind of blinking around the battlefield like goku does you know when they move real fast yeah i love dragon ball z i know you do you watch it all the time i will agree with you again i love that these third party publishers are utilizing the reaction a little bit you know oh yeah it, it makes the game more fun no it sure does because it is one of your three things that you can do not counting move action every turn so why not make use of it when you can you know what i mean hats off i really enjoy the pressure night put it plainly like that but he did fall considerably short in this episode dan you broke your cold streak and you crushed me 11 to 6 so congratulations you earned it. Thank you, thank you. So between Combat Divination, Midgard Heroes Handbook, the Warlock booklet that Garen brought in, we hope that we've given you more than what you could possibly have asked for when it comes to Cobalt Press good good in this episode. And if you want more Cobalt Press on our show, you can check out some episodes like Back from the Undead, which aired on January 15th of this year, 2019, and Battlefield Bloodbath, which was way back on November 8th of 2017. That was only our 10th episode ever. Garen, we've grown so much. I mean, that's true. Between the ages of 31 and 33, I've grown another inch and a half. I'm kind of a late bloomer, and I think my voice is starting to change. You're going to hate chest hair, dude. <sighs> Come back next week for a very exciting feature of Anne Gregerson. That's right. If you aren't a DM's Guild shopper, you might not be aware that the same person that brought us the kid supplement has also created a wonderfully gnarly post-apocalypse campaign setting that topped the charts on that website for a while. Until then, remember, when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lab, and all episodes for that matter. Yeah, but if you left this episode just wanting more, you can join us on Patreon for tons of bonus content. 
At our lowest tier, you can join our Discord and participate in fan battles and have access to all PDF content that we post. You can even chat with us throughout the day. For just a little bit more, you get two bonus episodes a month and access to the entire backlog of Fight Clubs, Monster Labs, and special interviews that we've been pumping out since March of 2018. Patrons in the next tier get early access to our regular show, sometimes as much as nine days prior to release date. They also get PDFs of the character sheets for the characters that we've built in the 2019 episodes and beyond, and they can submit a smooth operator or spitting fire charisma scenario that we will use in each and every episode. And our top, top tier patrons get merch a couple times a year, have a chance to submit characters, and can sway the fates with automatic crits and fails on our charisma rolls during the show. At any level, we hope to bring you more fun. We love working working on this show and the support of our patrons helps continue to make it better. If you're digging the new audio production that began in 2019, just know that it wouldn't be possible without those that already donate. And we have more plans to beef up the lab and we need your help to do it. But however you support us, we thank you. We hope to have you back next week. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter at DD Character Lab for some previews, what to expect, and lots of links to other great community content. Until Wednesday, peace, love, and point by. Hey man, good show. You too. So, game on? Game on! Oh, jeez, my other kidney! Probably it's on the other side. That's it.